Okay, welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. This is episode number 73, in which I speak with George Palancis. He is a combat veteran, coach, girl dad, and now author of his new book, Nowhere to Go, Navigating the Tough Transitions, and really great conversation around mindset. Uh, I would put this in the overall category of mindset and navigate his personal story and how he worked through some of those tough transitions. And in our conversation, we talk about really life is all about those transitions and being able to navigate through them uh, and get on the other side of it. And some of the things that hinder us from getting through them effectively are some of the mindset related things of our past, present and concerns of the future. And so we dig into, you know, getting through undefined expectations in life. The, what I call the chase versus pursue method. Uh, Is it your vision for your life and valuing you and your family and what it, what you're trying to pursue? Or are you chasing because someone else set that for you? Finding outlets to find yourself and digging in to being able to work uh, towards that future. So I think it's a great conversation. encourage you to check out his book. Uh, You can DM George directly on Instagram, uh, Nowhere to Go, and you can get the book for just 99 cents. Again, you can direct message George, and I'll include that in in the notes. So sit back, listen, enjoy, and take notes. Thank you so much. Remember, be rested, be well. With me today is George Calantis. He is a combat veteran, coach, girl dad, uh, like myself, and now author of the book, Nowhere to Go, Navigating the Tough Transitions. George, welcome to the Rest and Recovery Podcast. Hey, what's up, man? Finally, we got this. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, last time we had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties, but uh, we made it happen. So um, congrats on the new book. I see behind you, too, the, uh, the framed uh, cover. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Two, uh, just about a week now. And that's, uh, like a plaque. Uh, it was totally unexpected. It was a gift. So it was cool to receive. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, I was reading the, just on the title alone, the word transitions kind of stuck out to me personally. Um, it's been, uh, you know, just, I think it's, it's a, an important thing. It'd be good to, to find out how you use that in the title and why, um, seems kind of, that's kind of the crux of life. Um, yeah man uh transitions are inevitable right yeah uh it seems we're always preparing for them and and then uh trying to get through them and that's that's exactly what they said most of us are trying to get through them right and so the 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 idea behind the title was i've faced so many transitions in life like yourself and, and many others listening it's but there was one caveat while I was still on the other side of my transition, I was getting through them. I wasn't really accepting them. I wasn't uh, learning from them. I was just getting through them. Right. And so when, when the big life change hit, you know, when my life came coming down, divorce, depression, all the things at once, getting through them wasn't an option. Getting through them would have took my life. So I had to stop, accept all of them and learn from them. And not every transition had a, a lesson, but most of them did. Sure. So is that where you start off with the main title, Nowhere to Go? Yes. Yes. So is it uh, kind of just you were backed in the corner 
and it was like, okay, it's sink or swim at this point. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely the darkest days of my life. And there was patterns in my life that are occurring like many of us, right? We all have those perpetual patterns that show up into our lives, one shape, form, or another, right? Maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's in careers, maybe it's in addictions, whatever it is, some of them are healthy, some of them are not so healthy. But this idea is that the same result for me, you, and everyone listening in the end is death. And we yeah. only have one life. We're not this body, you know, you as a rest and wellness uh, coach and everything, like we're not the body, we're just borrowing it in time. Right. right? And so that's why we have nowhere to go, really. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, I felt like this, what you're doing is really aligned with, with the podcast is, you know, try to live this one life well, right? We only get one of these. Uh, the clock is always running. Uh, we just don't know when the triple zeros hit. Uh, yeah. so we, we need to figure out that healthy balance of, you know, figuring out how to be persistent and patient at the same time to get after it. And yet be calm at the same time, it seems. Yeah, it's definitely one of the hardest things to do. Presence, right? A word used so much, but hardly embodied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's harder than it seems. So you've got uh, a number of sections in there. Maybe explain, you know, the categories. You start off with the first grouping called freedom, which is an interesting way to start out. Uh, so maybe expound on that. Yeah, so the so this this book was written not in like a standard format of like I outlined and had a, a a rough draft and a chapter and essays and things like that. So first of all, the book is not a traditional book. Okay. It has no chapters in it. It's a series of essays and poems to help the reader uh, connect to their heart because most of us are living inside our head all day. Sure. Uh, now. If anybody listening wants to write a book, I don't recommend that the way to write a book because <laughs> it's one of the most challenging things I've ever done to write sporadically and put it all together. Uh, but I chose freedom because you find freedom in accepting your story. So the whole first series of essays is all about understanding the places that you've gone in life, which through my story, to help you understand and cultivate this awareness of who you are, why you got here, maybe why some of the things are unfolding the way they're unfolding and to start to recognize these patterns so you can gain freedom in your life. Okay. So maybe if you don't mind sharing, you know, your personal navigation through your hurdle that, you know, maybe some folks listening could resonate with um, and how you kind of navigated through that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll start with the beginning. Like I tell everybody, it all started, um, 30 years ago now, over 30 years ago, when I witnessed my parents' divorce. And uh, I was a six-year-old boy. Um, uh, we were considered a fairly wealthy and successful family, things like that. Uh, you know, my dad and family, they all own restaurants and businesses and, and were doing well. This was the uh, late 80s, early 90s. It was me and my older sister, a year and a half, and my little brother's about four years younger than me. And so a different time frame, I'm, I'm driving, I'm, I'm riding my bike home from school, I'm about six years old, beautiful fall day, just like this. And uh, I'm like, sweet, I'm going to take some friends over after school. I just got a Nintendo, you know, this is going to be awesome. Like nobody has a Nintendo, right? And now 
you know, I'm not that old, but Nintendo was awesome. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, not too many people had them when I, when we had them. And you so are dating like, yourself, but that's okay. I, I, I was like before that. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're riding home. Not too many people have them. I'm excited to share Nintendo with my friends. And as we're getting up, I see some clothes getting thrown out the window. My dad outside, like yelling, my mom's crying, all this thing's happening. And before I knew it, the next few days, like men came to our house, took our houses away, took our cars away, took everything. And I was living with my grandma. My mom was somewhere not to be found. And my life instantly changed like that. And throughout that time, my dad told me to man up, to be a man. Right. And I'm, I know he meant well, right. Because I'm the firstborn son in a Greek family and we get it the hardest. If you're in European family, you probably understand, or maybe the firstborn son, you understand. And so those words stuck with me for the rest of my life. And to me, it meant that I was never enough. No matter what I did, I had to prove myself worthy to be a man mm. because I had no clue what that was. I was chasing life for many, many years, for over three decades. And that meant trying to prove myself in sports. And I was horrible. So I played anyways and did it because that's just what I thought, you know, kids did and men did. And then throughout those, era, those years, I also cultivated a strong work ethic working for my family. So in a book, I talk about people like, oh, it must have been the Marines that like helped you really gain that work ethic. Actually, it was, you know, being a firstborn son in a Greek family, going through the things I do and, and started working at a very, very young age and seeing my family succeed no matter what in hardship, hard times. Yeah. So that's what really started. And then, of course, I joined the Marines in, um, you know, senior year after 9-11. And that really changed my outlook on life because I had something greater to look forward to. But it wasn't enough to be any branch. I had to join the Marines because I still had to prove that I was a man. That right. I had what it took, right? Like I wasn't going to just join the Army or the Air Force or anybody. I was like, I'm going to be a Marine. And so luckily and thankfully, I, I scored a really good entrance tense, uh, entrance tense into the military, test into the military. And my recruiter helped me pick air traffic control, which is a fascinating job, uh, lots of benefits and stuff like that. So that was my main job in the Marine Corps. But okay. I, also, I also guarded American embassies. And so I was excited when I joined the Marines, but within the first few years, uh, I lost my best friend to a roadside bomb in Iraq that caused a downward spiral of depression for me at the time. I was 20 years old, 2004, and uh, I immediately went overseas to guard embassies after that, and I pushed everything down inside. And so three years of traveling the world, 40 countries, uh, I came back and I, I was diagnosed with uh, major depressive disorder at 24 years old. I didn't want to admit it. I fought it. I pushed it down because I was back in the state size. And if air traffic control knew, you know, I wouldn't be an air traffic controller anymore. Maybe I was afraid I was going to get kicked out of the military. Yeah. So I hid that throughout my career in the military. And when I got out, I still hit it. Um, 27 years old, did this amazing thing in 10 years, felt lost, still didn't feel enough, didn't know what a man should do. So I jumped into life, got an MBA, went overseas, took a contract to chase money. And then I immediately started a family, changed careers, did all the things, which was great. I have a basic daughter, but I still don't know who George was. And in that process, I had all the things that I thought I needed or should have in life, but inside I was empty. I was dying. It was dark. It was gruesome. And so I hid all that with addictions, addictions to sex, addictions to alcohol and addictions to working very hard and staying at work all day and never being home to run from the things I needed to face. Mm. That in turn caused a massive gap between our marriage. Me and my ex-wife's relationship split. What turned to support and love ended up to resentment and hatred and anger and all the things which caused us to get a divorce. And so that was the story 
that was unfolding because I thought I was where I needed to be as a man. When that hit, it took me a while to fight it. And then when I finally accepted it, I was at a place where I almost took my life. Hence the book, Nowhere to Go. Luckily, I didn't. And I'm here. I got so much help. And uh, now I'm on a mission to help others to, you know, you know, empower them to find themselves in the place of struggle, to struggle well, to really see that their story is not yet over, no matter what they face in life. Well, George, a um, couple things. One, thank you for the transparency um, and navigating through those hard times, um, your service in the military, uh, you know, the few of the proud in the Marines. And, you know, I think you've upheld that end of the bargain and I appreciate you doing that. Um, and I, and I like what you said at the end there, um, struggle well, because the reality is struggle is a key ingredient to, um, life. It, it, it's a prerequisite to success, no matter what you're pursuing. Um, and it's great that you had that family, that characteristic, right. But without, you know, again, like you said, all, all of us, I'm a parent now, and I'm, I, I'm sure my kids will probably say the same thing soon about my uh, parenting skills. But, you know, the incompleteness of sometimes of good intentions misapplied, right? The strong work ethic or man up accurate statements, but without definition of what that looks like, without clear explanation of what that looks like, especially for a six-year-old, you know, it, it, it's hard to kind of shape that and work towards something clear. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when we're so young, we don't know what, the, what, what that stuff means. You know, we're, we're taught just to experience life through our eyes, but then also the eyes of our parents, right? Because those are the people closest to us. So all I knew was, okay, I, I need to be a man. So I'm just going to follow exactly, you know, what my dad is doing. And for that, for, for what I saw, it meant hard work and that's it. So yeah. I, even though I said I never wanted to be like my parents, 30 years later, I was exactly in the same spot, different body, different characteristics, different things, but the same exact results. And that's where, when I started to recognize those patterns, I was like, okay, there's nowhere to go in life. Yeah. And when you say something like, I will never do this, I will never do this. <laughs> actually, you're creating that same exact story. Yeah. With famous last words, right? Yep. So what was that pivot point? What was that inflection point for you that the light bulb went on and you got clarity on like, okay, I'm going about this the wrong way. I need to reorient my approach. Yeah. You know, that, that was hard. It, it took a lot of time. The only thing I realized to heal what I was holding on to was my heart. And the only way to open up and, and heal my heart was through writing, was through hiring mentors, was through hiring coaches and really just in taking time to George. Right. So that means for me, I cut out all distractions in my life. Um, I quit the gym. I was a successful strength coach, personal trainer for many years. I quit the gym. I, I quit drinking. I quit dating. I, I didn't have sex with anybody for a whole year. Like I just, I just went like monk style. <laughs> right. And uh, in that process, it was, it was really challenging, but I found out who I was, you know, what I liked, what I didn't like, what I needed. And more importantly, what was like triggering to me and why I was thinking some of the same things. Right. And it's only been a few years. So I'm still working through a lot of the things, but the things that were once heavy are no longer heavy anymore for me. I've let all that go. That's a great lesson in, in clarifying things and understanding yourself. Um, what did that look like for you 
for during that year, what were some of the things that you employed to help get that clarity? Yeah. So the first part was uh, hiring a mentor. Um, his name is Trevor Bohem. He runs a uh, man on civilized nation. And uh, I found him on a Ted talk. I was at a gym listening and his Ted talk said pain is guru. I was like, cool. I like pain. What is this? And then, you know, within a week after almost taking my life, I was on the phone and I was working with him. He had three conditions. I had to cut alcohol. I had to cut like porn or any useless sex. And I had to be honest. Mm -hmm. and, and then I had to pony up the money, which was a lot of money. And so I ponied up $6,000 to work with him in the course of 12 weeks. And uh, it was the most uh, expensive thing I've ever done for myself at that time. And uh, with really no money, nowhere, nothing to do, nothing. I, I ended up charging a card and I said, okay, I can't go back. Like mm -hmm. there's something going on here. All in. I never want to feel this way. So I did that. And each week we get on the call each week, he'd help me uncover some of the more the stories within a few weeks after that, I was at a retreat with him and many other humans. And that's when I really started opening my heart. And that's when I started writing. And some of it's in the book, like the journal process, the things I was feeling. And honestly, when I had nowhere to run, I started to feel and it fucking hurt. Uh, but all those feelings reminded me how alive I was yeah. and what I was really missing before. Well, and it's interesting that the requirements had to do with things that are sedating, right? Mm -hmm. And culturally, going back to the misapplication of things is certainly have a drink, right? I'm not anti, sure. but the overindulgence piece of the numbing or the constant, whether it's whatever it is, fill in the blank, drinking, um, you know, TV too much, you know, Netflix binging, whatever you're sedating that you're, you're seems like we're layering things on top and not being able to feel, and like you said, discover who you are and, and, and the things that work for you and that don't work for you. Yeah, correct. Um, when I drank, I binge drank, meaning like I, I like during my divorce, yes, I'll admit I did drink like a lot more than I used to, but like when I did drink, I would binge drink, I would black out. I didn't know who I was. I'd become an mm -hmm. asshole. So those things I knew of myself, like I really yeah. knew as a truth, uncomfortable truth. So that was one of the things like I wanted to stop. I didn't want to carry that over to my daughter. I didn't want her to see me as the, as that dad who was always drunk, who was, who was an asshole, things like that. And so I did it for myself, but I also did it for my daughter because the whole idea of nowhere to go is, is realizing that like, just because all the things that happen to you, like you give meaning to the struggle and the things that happen to you, that means you are also the ones who can give meaning to the change and right. it with you. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, I heard it on a, on a podcast, uh, the order of man podcast. And he had Matthew McConaughey on and McConaughey had said, you know, we're all victims. We just have to choose to be victimized. Mm -hmm. And it's that internal narrative of, of how we receive things. And it's, it's ultimately an empowerment to, in my mind, you know, take ownership of your story and how you receive it. And if there's something external, that's on that person, you know, and taking on like unnecessary weight, you know, I kind of picking up somebody else's luggage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We all have, we all have baggage. Yeah. Right? It's our life, but it's, it's how it's, it's what we do with that and what we choose to accept. Right. Um, there's this whole thing 
uh, Katie Byron or Byron Katie's work. Um, I, I don't, I can't, I always say her name wrong. Um, but you know, she, she walks through the stiff press process. Like, like, is what I'm thinking true? Is it 100% true? Right. What is the opposite version of this story? If it wasn't true, what would happen? And you walk through all these things and you're like, most of the time, the things that we tell ourselves in our head are all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's because we play the, the blame game. We look for that complaining in life. We look for that struggle because we are, most of us are addicted to chaos without even knowing it. And so I believe that transitions in our lives, those hard ones that come into us, like an unexpected change, you know, career, death, relationship, whatever, like the ones that challenge our life story, those are the ones that come into our lives to make room for the real version of us, right? Our true authentic self. And yeah. some of them, sometimes it's going to take more than one and that's fine. That's part of being human. But the more you recognize that, the more you're aware of it, it, it allows you to just show up to the world as who you need to be, not one beneath masks or, or the stories that someone else told you and all these things. And that's why I made it like a combination of poetry and essays instead of like a five-step plan. You're right. You know? Well, I, I like that adjustment. Like you were saying, it's a little non-standard, but, you know, sometimes non-standard is the requirement, right? That, that one-off approach that maybe that's the thing that fits you best, um, and, you know, fit it in with whatever it's the, the fad diets to, you know, medical approaches to whatever you got to be that personalized prescriptive approach. Yeah. And it, like yourself, uh, there's a chapter in there where I talk about like navigating the body and it's interesting because it, it fascinates me. So many people more are interested in their health and things like that. But like, I've realized like we're just scratching that surface of the iceberg because like, it's not what diet, what workout, what you're doing. It's more of like your overall lifestyle. And yes. how you're approaching it. And can you really accept your body for what it is, right? Instead of like trying to beat it up for yeah. enjoying life or whatever it is that you're doing. Or the, you know, the, the big one that we fall into with some of the external stuff is the comparison trap, yeah. right? I mean, if I'm a 6'2 lean person, I'm not going to end up looking like, you know, the rock. That's just a physical impossibility. Uh, so, you know, you have to, work within within but you know at the end of the day it's, it's your best self forward each day yeah how are you going to optimize that yeah exactly um and i was in that comparison trap for a long time you know being a marine and all these things i was afraid i didn't live up to the legacy you know i was afraid i wasn't living up to a man so i'd compare myself to anyone and anything that had something more that i wanted that i didn't have and now i'm just like cool like comparison is normal right the, whatever but like now i'm just like this is me. This is my body. Like take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, conversely though, too, is how do you, how do you maintain that growth mindset though, of, of pursuing excellence within yourself, right? Mm. Not the comparison, but that continued progression that it's not complacency. Yeah. I think, so I wrote a little bit about that for me, it comes down to like, when you're pursuing excellence, great, but are you doing it at a cost mm -hmm. at a cost that is sacrificing your truth? Right. Like, are you aligned with your values really? Yeah. Or are you just doing it to get at someone else or to, to like, uh, be something you think you quote unquote should be versus like be who you really are. Right. right. That's the difference. I think. Yeah. And it really goes back to you saying, finding yourself, what's your vision for yourself yeah. and then understanding those things. And then how does that tether back? You know, that, that action you took today, does that tie to the goal to be 
the best dad you can be for your daughter, right? right. Great example for her. So she knows what a good dude looks like, not some jackass who is going to treat her poorly. Right. Yeah. It's like how, how do we be those examples? Yeah. And I, I think how is, it's so hard because everyone's going to be individual, but again, yeah. I believe it really comes down to if what you have the choice to either do things that are aligned with what you feel inside. Right. Or if you're doing what you're doing, if it's aligned with someone else's dream, right. You can't choose both. And so for me, while it's harder to choose what I'm feeling inside and to trust my gut, it's a lot easier and satisfying than chasing someone else's dream and doing something that doesn't align with my truth. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, you'll be able to see it over time when you're chasing someone else's, if it doesn't align to your own vision and, and moral compass that at some point it's just gonna, it's going to be, you're going to become indifferent to it. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things like, and I tell people now, and this is the truth. Okay. I wrote this book, right. But this is also one of the hardest places I've ever been in as well, because I am still shedding all the layers of my whole entire life that tells me that I need to be at this place, right? 37 years old, MBA combat veteran. I need to, I'm still learning how to let all that go and mm-hmm. like trust that I'm following my heart. And this is the best intention from what I've wanted to do. And it is, I do trust inside that, but it's still really, really hard. So I think when you're not following your heart, when you're not following your intuition, you're heavy, you're, you're stressed out to the max, you're, you're exhausted, you know, um, your relationship. Yeah. Procrastination. All these things are happening. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen with me right now, sure. but like I said, I, I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been, even though it's such a weird time to be, because I, I just trust that what I did and what I am doing aligns with my calling to the world. That's awesome. So in a box, you know? Yeah. So as you went through the process and granted, like you said, it wasn't necessarily you know, a five-step plan, but you, you're journaling, you're going through these processes and regurgitating or bringing up past wounds. Mm-hmm. Were there new lessons that you pulled out of it? Um, it, it? I don't know if you want to cite an example, if you want to dig too deep, but um, you know, like a, a new takeaway, you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that from that experience. As as far as like creating the book or as far as like where I'm at right now, where you're at right now, like the personal lessons and it's like a new lesson as you're, you're kind of going through those past experiences. You know, it's interesting is I, I wrote this book three years. I started writing this book three years ago. So a lot can change in three years. Right. Yeah. And so some of the things more particularly probably towards the beginning of the book, you know, I, I feel like I needed to go deeper, but at that point, that's just what I put in. So, yeah, I, I think there's always more that we can learn from our past because sorry, in Kierkegaard, he says, you know, we can learn from our past, but we must live forward. So most of us are stuck in our past. Yeah. Uh, far from the present, but we must only go into our past to understand it, not to stay there to live forward. Right. That's how we, how we do it. So for me, it's, it's more of like the biggest lesson is whenever these thoughts come up, like, to take, to close my eyes, take a breath and acknowledge like, yeah, that's true, but it's time to, to move out of that. Right. Yeah. Um, that was one of the biggest things like I've taken away from this whole process is, uh, now I I'm more aware of my triggers 
and my patterns. Mm-hmm. And uh, when those things come up, I have more practices in my life um, to help me overcome that. Right. And it's more, I go hiking a lot more. I meditate daily. Um, I don't, you know, it's interesting. You're a health and wellness guy too. I don't train as hard as I used to, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for anyone listening to this, if you're an extreme athlete, you might understand. I used to use my body like a machine and that machine was running from my feelings. And yeah, it's a healthier coping mechanism, but I didn't accept myself or what I was feeling. So I'd wake up at three 30 in the morning when I couldn't sleep down some coffee and pre-workout crush a workout and then go train people for 12 hours a day. Yeah. It's no wonder why I was exhausted, depressed and all of these things. Right. Yep. And so I train less and have better results than I ever had before. Yeah. It's definitely interesting on, on, uh, proper pacing and things of that nature. And, you know, what I noticed for myself is my own internal clock of my mind of like, am I approaching something at a higher stress load than I should? And then that workout is probably more intense than it needed to be. Meaning I'm walking in mentally stressed, then I'm applying physical stress. And unless I'm relaxed and, and kind of just flowing with it, my, it, it can definitely blow some gaskets. And I've done that too many times. <laughs> uh, me, me as well. And this whole recent concept I learned from, you know, George Bryant and Jim Wick, like there's strong music and not so strong music that blew my mind. Right. I used to go in sometimes in the gym and like, listen to some heavy metal and some, some yeah. words with like, all swears and like, yeah, it amps me up, but I didn't realize it was actually jacking up my nervous system. And so now I go in the gym with some like, calm music and some, some relaxing music. And I have a hell of a better workout than I ever have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that that's, uh, so you mentioned a couple practices you mentioned walking. Are, are you still journaling? I journal, uh, every morning. Yep. Every morning. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so my practice now is, um, I'll wake up anywhere from four forty-five to five thirty. sometimes a little earlier if I, whatever. Um, uh, I go into the kitchen, I make a hydration cocktail. It's uh, Himalayan salt and uh, lime juice or, um, or an electrolyte, whatever the two, whatever I feel like doing. After I drink that, put the coffee on, sit my ass down on the meditation cushion, uh, 20 minutes of uh, transcendental meditation. I was given a mantra. I have no clue what it means. But the whole point is it's not the meaning in the mantra. It's the mantra that sends the vibrations and the ripple effect in the world to reduce the stress. And so I've been doing that consistently for in and out here, but more importantly, the last 30, 40 days, every single day, 40 minutes a day, but I do that. And then I sit down and I, I journal. So a lot of the book came from those thoughts of revelations in my meditation that came out into the journal, because I, I, what I've realized is we have these open loops in our mind. And so whenever we're thinking about the stress of the finances, the relationships, the careers, all the things, these stay in our mind, unless we do something with them. Yeah. So I realized there's two ways for me to get them out of my head and in like out into the world and out of my thoughts to close the loop. It's through journaling, through a voice memo, or through talking to somebody else. If we don't do any of those, they, they don't leave your mind. Yes. Got to get it out. Got to get it out. So yeah. I sit down and meditate. And then I, I, I immediately write in my journal like that sucked. I was thinking about my finances. Uh, you know, Melina called me a name the other day, whatever it is that all goes out. But then I close that loop with like a, like a affirmation and a win, a, a gratitude to retrain the brain, right? So I'm thinking negative. Let me do some reframing of the, 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 the neurons in my brain with a little bit of gratitude and appreciation. And that does work. I'll tell you what. 
Yeah, well, and it's interesting. I just noticed today is the 21st of September as we record this. And it's, uh, I just saw something that today's National Gratitude Day. Wow. And, uh, so, so interesting timing. But I will say, you know, for a long time, the whole mindset thing, which is, I think, the broader theme of what we're talking about, is something I thought was too woo woo and all this stuff. But it, you know, you are what you eat is as true about your mind. You are what you think. And if you're thinking you're stupid, you're whatever, fill in the negative connotations, then then you're going to manifest that in reality because you've convinced yourself otherwise, then something's going to happen to affirm that. And you're like, see, mm-hmm. I knew it. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. Anissa Nin, she's a French Cuban uh, novelist. And I wrote about, I quoted her from the book. She says, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So if we don't believe in ourselves. Yes there's a good chance that no one else is going to believe as well. And if they do, they're going to lose that faith sooner than later. Right. And that's something I learned the hard way because my mentor, he goes to me, he goes, dude, your life didn't fall apart just because of this one little event. It fell apart for accumulation of how long you've never believed in yourself. Yep. And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. You know, I'm not a huge, I, I get the point, but maybe because of the negative connotation to some extent is self-love or, and self-care. They're valid statements, right? But um, uh, proper context around those things, but we have to care for ourselves because otherwise you can't, you can't, like you can't pour from an empty glass. Yes. Uh, you have to believe in yourself first before anyone else can believe in you. Yep. I mean, whether it's, you know, podcast is called Rest and Recovery, focusing on getting that foundation of rest and recovery well so that you're prepared and, and the, the snowball effect, positive or negative, around that mindset, around that physicality, um, it is huge. Yeah, because you, you, you know Greg Cook, right? I'm aware. Yeah, so a Greg Cook is like the, he developed this FMS system, functional movement screen, right? Uh, basically, you know, I, I got certified a long, long time ago, over 10, almost 10 years ago now. And, uh, you know, we're doing this screen, he talks about like, no one ever checked if the pebble's in the shoe. You take the pebble out of the shoe and next thing you know, this person has an amazing screen in four, right? And so we look at, we always look at these, these wrong things. And a lot of them, it's cool. Like if you, if you're overweight, get your body moving first, right? But like for those high performance CEOs, for those people that have lived like those high functional lives, like sometimes working out more is not the option. Sometimes it's the sleep. Sometimes it's the, the meditation. Sometimes it's those things that you really don't think about that you need the most, right? Yeah. The downregulation. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of where nowhere to go fits in, I believe, because it's more about learning to slow down, take a step back and look at your life from a different view so you can actually unlock your potential. Yeah, because and it's it's again, so countercultural of what we've been told is like the go, go, go. Well, I mean, you're missing the third leg in that stool, which is what you're talking about, which is is recharge the battery. Right. Yeah. We all got to plug that phone up. We all got to whatever. Um you got to take that downtime and go, go, go. What's, what's it leading to? Where, where are you, you going? going to <laughs> yeah. like, okay, go, go, go. Like, okay. Your schedule is jam packed. How much of that schedule is what makes you feel good inside? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, yeah, exactly. Reassessing what are all these activities and what are they for? Are they, are they for that vision? Yes. I got to pay the bill. Right. But is all these other things in, in between appropriate? 
Exactly. I mean, it, it all comes down to, do you understand what you value? Do you understand what you need and want? And a lot of us don't. And that's what was very surprising to me in the process, right? And when a transition hits us, the, the things that we need the most are often the things to go first. Absolutely. So you find how to connect back to yourself. And as with you, I believe it starts with our body. We move our body first. We feel good about that. And then the other things just kind of slowly follow. Yeah. So we're kind of coming up on time here, but um, what, what's something that would you encourage folks uh, to expect out of the book uh, and, and why it would empower just about anybody? Yeah. So anybody's listening, you know, my goal for the book is to help you really come to a place of acceptance whenever you're in that heavy place of struggle. Um, because in that place of acceptance, while it's painful, you're going to find some amazing things about yourself that you may have not noticed before. And that will allow you to really own who you are. So you can really unlock your potential, right? Like entrepreneurs, maybe you're not telling the bits and pieces of your story that you're afraid to tell. And when you accept your story and you figure out how to say that in a way that you own it with strength, optimism, and dignity, you're going to come out as some of the most powerful humans in the world. Right. And so, and then if you're not an entrepreneur and you're just struggling, well, this will teach you how to embrace that struggle so you can avoid future sufferings. Yeah. You know, thank you for that. And the word that came to mind with that was integrity and with, <laughs> with yourself, because you can't run away from yourself. Yeah. Cause integrity to me is like your words, thoughts, and actions are all aligned, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time we're not aligned with that. And we must remember the words that we say to ourselves are extremely important. They are things. And most of the time we don't even realize that. Absolutely. Well, uh, George, again, super encouraging to hear about this. Uh, and you know, for those listening it may seem counterintuitive, but you know, we all deal with struggle. It's not if you run into it, it's how you're going to manage through it to get on that other side to help encourage others. Yeah. Yeah. That's my takeaway from what you've accomplished in this. Yeah. Struggling. We're all going to do it. Right. But it's, will you run from the struggle or will you embrace it to avoid that suffering? Yeah. So uh, George, I like to close things out with three questions. So a little bit of a hot seat, nothing too heavy though. Uh, what are you reading right now? Oh yeah. So I'm reading three different books. Uh, one for fun. It's uh, actually right here. It's called uh, name of the wind, which is almost done. I don't know if you ever read it before. No. Uh, it's a fantasy fiction book. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss. It's amazing. There's uh, the words in here are amazing. The story is amazing. Uh, his, his craft is amazing. And it takes you on, on, on an amazing journey where you feel like you're in it the whole entire time. It's a very really, cool, really big book. So nice. almost that. Uh, writing, I'm reading uh, draft number four by John McPhee. Um, it's on his writing process. It's, okay. it's really intriguing uh, to me. And then I am also reading uh, a book called Do the Work. So kind of a great book on teaching you to go into your inner child and really understand who you are as a human and why you do the things you do. Yeah. Very cool. All right. What are you listening to right now, be it music or podcast? Oh, you know what? I'm jamming out to Ed Sheehan's new song, Shivers. <laughs> okay. I love it. Is it? I haven't heard yeah. it. Yeah. Cool. I will check that one out. Uh, all right. Last one. What is your go-to restroom recovery method? Oh, I have two. 
uh, the goat first one is definitely meditation. So if I'm feeling heavy or anything, I will sit my ass down, close my eyes and start breathing. Yeah. And, um, I, the one that I really, really love, but I got to schedule it into my, my, my schedule is, uh, getting out and getting to nature, going for hikes. Nature. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, that's one that I don't do enough of. I mean, out, outside we've got a good property, but not hikes and things of that nature. But. Yeah. I'm on a mission. There's 48 peaks over 4,000 in New Hampshire. I got a little bit more than halfway. So uh -huh. I'm on a mission to get them. And, uh, nice raining like crazy here. So I haven't been able to go out, but I'm forcing myself to go this weekend. That's an awesome goal. Yeah. It's like awesome. another book in the making. <laughs> I don't know if I got a book in that one, but it's fun. Yeah. Well, cool. All right, George, appreciate you and uh, good luck on the success of the book. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. This was fun. <laughs>